Oh, um, are we doing this? Um, bite that fucking microphone in your face and then okay, alright. Are we doing this? Alright, alright. Alright, well, I'll put out another episode of The Healing Club with me, Bob Morrissey. This is me! I'm doing another episode of The Healing Club with Coleman Cox and Keith Ray. Two comics from Houston, Texas. I started comedy with Coleman ten years ago in June. He'd started a few months before I started. We had a instant friendship and uh, trust and a competitive uh, brinkmanship kind of uh, I can do this better than you could do that kind of cagey animal sparring squinting eye friendship competition he moved away to LA about seven years ago he's grown so much watching him tonight was really incredible to see him also shred on the guitar he shreds on the guitar he's very good at playing Van Halen on guitar he can play eruption he can play you know he can play anything on the guitar he's, he's very good at soloing he's like a heavy metal kind of a person and you know what so am I so am I and um and Keith is a a wildly uh, like he's a force of nature that Keith Ray and they lived with Scotty Peterson for a brief bit in L.A. a few years ago. Scotty talked about it on the last podcast. On the last one, the last one I did, Scotty was um, describing living in a house with 15 people. Keith Ray and Coleman Cox were two of the people that Scotty lived with in that environment in L.A. a few years ago. Bunch of deadbeats doing comedy. Yikes. What they describe in this episode of living off of $40 for a month and just traveling on no money with, you know, just throwing it all away. Throwing your life away on comedy. You know, it's, it's a risk. It's a risk. Some people do it. These guys. Well, all of us. Me. I'm 42. I threw my I threw my life away on comedy. I threw my life away on knowing people like Keith Ray and Coleman Cox doing jokes at the same places where they do jokes. And I go up on stage and I yell. And sometimes I don't get the best reaction. But sometimes it's gold. And sometimes I kill. And sometimes I don't. And then sometimes I learn. And sometimes I think I'm good, but I'm really not. And then I realized, years later, guys like Coleman and Keith Ray, they were watching, they knew, they saw, they were compassionate, they made allowances. We all make allowances for each other. Nobody's gonna make it, don't you know that? And, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's these people who just keep coming back and keep trying and keep getting better. It's it's fun to watch how good 
yeah, these these guys are after all the work they've done and all the ways they've uh, improved and accommodated accommodated themselves. You know, you you have a bad set, it's like an opportunity to change yourself, and then you turn around years later, you're a new self, a better self. You kill in front of audiences. People love it. Maybe your personal life isn't as good as it could be, but you know what? The stage is all that matters, and that's what I think is true. So, this is the Healing Club Podcast. With two friends from the old days, and the new days, and the Houston comedy scene is deep, and it's cold outside. It's another freezing day. I took the cat to the vet, and then the, then the weather got cold. My show at Avant Garden was canceled. I'm going to Austin tomorrow to do comedy at the Velve. And uh, then I'm going and doing two shows at the Secret Group on Saturday. What am I talking about? Anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be headlining a show at a place called Bohemios on February 10th. A Thursday, February 10th. A week from today, I'll be February 10th headlining a show in Houston. And look at me. I'm going to be doing... A little bit of time. People, people are gonna hear me uh, tell my, my, my stories and my jokes for longer than twenty minutes at a place called Bohemios, and, and there's some great people on the show like Gregory Haney, Connor Stitt. Uh, let's see, uh, who else? I don't know. There's other names I'm forgetting. I don't. Uh, Jamal Rahal and Tyler Tibbs are putting the show together, and. Uh, I'm I've got early onset Alzheimer's and um, I don't I don't think I'm very smart and uh, I, we talk about this on the podcast The Healing Club with me Bob Morrissey and these two bozos Coleman Cox and um, um, uh, Keith Ray and the uh, uh, other people on the show on February 10th at Bohemios. Are um yeah, when did I make that poster? I don't know. I even made my own poster. Hannah Philibert and Mason James and Greg Haney and Connor Stitt. Are, those those are people who are gonna be on the show with me. The show brought but together by Ugly Puppy Productions at the it'll be at Bohemios and wherever that is in Houston, Texas. Alright. Thank you, blah blah blah. Nothing to do today or tomorrow. Keith Ray. Nothing to do today, Keith Ray. Nothing to do every day, Keith Ray. (laughs) Keith Ray on the podcast. And and what's this? Coleman Cox as well. Behind the monitor. Coleman Cox. Oh, are we starting? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Nice. I like how you just. Bob Morrissey. Mrs. Kisses. That's how. Freaky Chair. That's how Canon Camera started. The Shadows. Called, it used to be called Canon Microphone. And he Candid would, in the Shadows. And he would talk to people and not tell them that he was turning the mic on. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah. He was, he was like interviewing veterans and stuff, and he noticed, like, as soon as he flipped the recording on, people instantly, you know, they instantly changed. Well, I told you this would be a good song to start with, and then I started the song. I thought that was like a little cue. That was a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't read it either. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't like trying to unravel the plans. This is the plans. theme from The Deer Hunter, a movie that 
Coleman's never seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's in one of Keith Ray's top two movies. Oh, yeah. What is your number one? I would say it's kind of a toss... My number one is kind of a toss-up between The Harder They Come, uh, which is a Peter Hensel film, or Perry Hensel film, uh, uh-huh. Jamaican movie, yeah. and uh, Casino. Casino. Oh, okay. Interesting yeah. that that's the best Martin Scorsese movie. To me, I love the, the love triangle between... James Woods and uh, De Niro and uh, Sharon, Sharon Stone. Stone. I mean, if you've never felt like Ace, then maybe you would like Goodfellas better or something like that. But I, I, uh, I actually called my brother up. I was in a really dysfunctional relationship uh, with this guy who was always trying to steal my girlfriend away. He actually poisoned me once in an attempt to steal her away. Uh, and what did he poison you with? Suboxone. He slipped it into my beer at the bar one night. What is that? Suboxone. Do? I had no idea. I've never heard of that before. It's so this a, is on the record. So uh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, okay. yeah. accusations. <laughs> my, life, my life is garbage. No. What? <laughs> also, nobody are... listens. So this is on the record. Nobody listens. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you can uh, say whatever you want because nobody cares. That's I, the uh, I, tragedy I of today. I used to listen to this when I did my laundry. And Van Eyes, I'll put this on, and I'd be like, "Man, I'm glad I'm not there anymore." <laughs> wait, wait, wait! The the, the healing club podcast? podcast? No, I'm joking. I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. I'd be like, "Whoa, oh, sure, no. sure, don't miss that guy." <laughs> oh, wow. No, I would listen to it and be like, "Oh, I'm sad." Oh, good. I told my brother that I've, I've got this kind of James Woods piece of shit good for nothing trying to steal my beautiful queen here let's turn that music off so you watch you you love casino because you identify with robert de niro well that's what my brother said he goes oh so in this scenario you're the king of las vegas (laughs) and i was like you know you make a good point (laughs) that's one of those things like one one line somebody tells you and it's just like oh fuck i'm living in a dream right now Mm. but i definitely had to put that bitch out the same way you know what i'm saying no hands on but like her belongings being thrown into the street is very similar to uh i used to do a joke about greg uh throwing me out the uh, when I was too drunk to wake up and and I'd lost my job because I uh, passed out and slept through work and he found me at home and Hell yeah. and just picked me up and threw me outside with the trash and then the garbage camp yeah I well, they, they, they took the, the they took the rest truck. of the trash but he had a sign on me that said also trash <laughs> and um and I was just laying out there you with the garbage cans. You that said also Wait, trash. Is that real? Did he actually do that? No, I can no. see that's not real at all. Well, you know, you would have to be in a. Greg would have to be a lot stronger. A man on man relationship. So you're saying Greg is weak? Take a pretty strong man to do a thing like that. There's not a lot of women that can drag you out into the street. But we do have that. I mean, we have done. Things like that, you know. This is a bad Fights. life, and uh, nobody wins, and uh, everything's terrible. What was your ugliest uh, fight? Oh, <laughs> air it out! Come on, no, yeah. no. Who, who died? No, who no. got poisoned? Well, Bob, that gives me the perfect opportunity to give you a compliment I've been wanting to give you for years. Mm-hmm. I just want you to know that the way you are so outwardly miserable <laughs> is how I feel inside all the time, and it makes me feel like your brother. Okay. You know, like a, like 
it gives me that almost family level of love and affection for you. Special place in my heart. Yes. I don't want to think that there's nothing you can do about it, though. I'll be outwardly miserable, but there's a hopefulness to that because it's like, eh, you can't, it's not like you can't talk about it. It's not like, it's just the, the, the. Feeling like nobody understands what you, what you're going through is uh, is a t- is a bad feeling, and yeah. if you're miserable on stage, I don't know. otherwise you have to keep all that inside. Well, just know somebody out there does. Ah, Keith. Yeah, he's a big fan. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. you always guess... kind of struck me as happy. You, yeah. Shut the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Bob. Uh, Bob. Yeah, you yeah. were like happy, but actually happy. Like, well, when you're happy, you are happy. That's true. Because it, it, yeah. it sings but, more because of all of the times we see you no, with mean, the dour sadness. You're, you're happy like you you un, you understand, you know? Like mm. uh, like if somebody, like if somebody, you know, if Greg put you out with the trash, you'd be like, I understand why this is happening. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not like, oh, I'm so sad. Why is this yeah. happening to me? It's more like, this makes sense with the world and the way I see things. Well, I was reading this book called uh, The Road to Unfreedom by Timothy Snyder. That's not a real book. Russia, Europe, America. It's a brilliant analysis of our time. And he was talking about the uh, politics of inevitability versus the politics of uh, eternity. And inevitability politics Mm. is like uh, the progressive order is always marching toward more and the status quo has given us all we have and let's be hopeful and accept everything that is and it's they're they're peddling a kind of hopeful uh, propaganda kind uh, of like hopeful saying like saying like we're, we're, we're you know look at all we have and how great we are and we wouldn't be that way if the bad things that happened in the past were really that bad so accept everything as inevitable and here for a good reason and you know celebrate us and who we are and you know Patriotism. I just read the end. Rah rah rah. Ooh, and but then there's like a, patriotism. They tie patriotism into that. Because I've never I, seen I was that. Really on life? board there for a second. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. I'm patriotic for Texas, but America not so much. This is the best nation in uh, North America for sure. Yeah. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't think a country should be as large as we are. I think that's part of the problem that Ooh. we have nationally. Is like our identity is so congealed and. Oh. And so there's nothing to like pick out and be like, oh, this is unique. This is part of what makes my attachment to my country unique above everything else. And, you know, when you really analyze it, we don't have a lot of the freedoms that we say we do. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah we, uh, we're. I, I, it, it would be nice to not worry about going to a hospital. Yeah. It would be, oh it would be nice to uh, have, have like, uh, people in charge of our uh, education system who actually cared about you know ideas rather than you know protecting money like maybe putting and teachers in charge of it as opposed curriculum, to like uh, women uh, yeah. with really nice platinum blonde hair oh who, who are you talking about to, uh, that wow. stupid cunt that trump put in charge of the education oh, yeah. system um, yeah what was her name her price of was her uh, for Nancy brother. Grace Jr. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, teacher should be yeah. in charge. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Feeney should be <laughs> in charge of the education. I just don't remember anything. I've got like early onset Alzheimer's. Uh, old timers, my mom old-time, likes to call yeah, it. Old timers disease. <laughs> 
Wow. Yep. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh. She's a hack. My mom's a total hack. Your mom's a hack. <laughs> is that why we're... She's got old-timer's disease. Is that why, is that why we're here right now? Is that, is that why we're here right now? Is I'm just going here? through something. Yeah, I'm going through some <laughs> shit. Yeah, losing my memory. You know? Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Losing my mind. Man. I'm... Don't give a fuck if I get my arms bleeding. I got it. Something me. Suffocating. Suffocation. No oh, breathing. Is this part of the Alzheimer's? No. Are you, are you <laughs> it's, just, no my, it's my schizophrenia talking. <laughs> That's what, yeah, I had to imagine like in 20 years people be stroking out and they're just doing like Papa Roach lyrics. <laughs> <Is> that, <laughs> that band is. I was like, is that Nine Inch Nails? Who is that? Whoa. I can't. I'm yeah, so I'm yeah. so bad at band names now. Who is that lady though from the Trump administration? The education. Betsy yeah. DeVos. Yeah, Betsy DeVos. Yeah. And I was gonna say Lady Joel Osment. For the listeners, I Coleman was... did not Google that. That's <laughs> yeah. pretty fucking yeah. nice, dude. I was, I was, you knew it the whole time. <laughs> I shut that out. Yeah. For the listeners, he knew it the whole time. Yeah, I was just letting y'all play it out. <laughs> it was a bit, you know. You don't step on people when they're having a good time. Yeah. yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, man, the Alzheimer's is um. Uh, what do you do? Stretches for that? What? <laughs> <laughs> I hear it's one of those things that if you just do enough bicep curls, it goes yeah. away. It's more of a moral thing. I'm just shedding all of my inhibitions and my morality. That's good. So yeah, instead of my memories, I'm just like, well, look over those first. Okay. Yeah. The <laughs> pandemic really made me into a moral relativist. I'll oh, tell yeah. you that. Like, just not having yeah. food to eat. Uh, I jumped at the opportunity to make money. Uh, and my my cousin invited me back to the middle of nowhere, Indiana, to make a good grip of loot, but it was all at the expense of degenerate gamblers. Oh, okay. You know? That was a cool story. I like seeing all that money in that box. Hell yeah, dude. The pictures cool. of the money I took. So, yeah. Wait, what did you? What, what were you working for? Huh? I was working for a business called Chad's Novelties. It's been uh-huh. in my family for uh, about forty years, uh, and. They sell gambling supplies, uh, pull tabs, tip books, bingos, uh, bingo paper, raffling supplies, bingo machines. Uh, but mostly we sold pull tabs. Okay. But you also lived in a comedy house with like 15 people. Oh, fuck yeah. That was, that was a that couple was years a, ago. Yeah. yeah. A little the, before the, the shutdown. You got some stories the, from uh, that? The Woodman House. From, you got some stories from that? <laughs> what was that? I, got, I moved out of the Woodman House to go live in a shed. Which I believed wholeheartedly was a quite serious upgrade. You lived in <laughs> so a if that'll shed. Give you a, yeah, I lived for over a year. A lot, of, a lot of great comedians have lived in sheds. Um, uh, uh, Terry Pratchett. Richard Pryor. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Bonnie Joel. Shore. Bonnie Tyler. But no, who's the guy? Andy Dick. Andy yeah. Dick. Yeah. Um, no, he actually lived in a shed. I Mary was naming, Tyler Moore. Naming people who grew up in mansions. Yeah. And, um, lived in mansions. You know... Uh, Haley Joel Osment <laughs> lived in a shed. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me. I was listening to this documentary about that movie Roar. The guy that had like he he raised all these lions, like oh yeah, and basically had his own reserve and filmed a movie and like ruined his marriage. Got heavily into debt, almost died. His daughter got mauled in the fucking face, and they lost money on it. Oh, <laughs> it's kind of a bad movie because they watched it and they're like, oh, there's no plot. We're just showing off animals and like. My my friend, um, I know a guy who told me about it, the, the movie Sleepaway Camp, and the making of that movie being sort of similar to that, but just it all worked out because it was an enormous financial success. But 
it was one of the weirdest projects of uh, an assemblage of the weirdest people who uh, had control over a script. And uh, like some, I think it's one of the best movies ever made, in spite of how shitty it is. If that makes sense. Better than better than Deer Hunter. What? Better than Deer Hunter. It says more about the seventies. I would say. Okay. <laughs> it's like a better like document to uh, to show how like home. It, it's it's a very homophobic movie, and uh, it just like, but a good expression of the homophobia of the time. Okay. And, which is, and which so is it's almost like like the 70s well, you think of like homophobia being rebelled against during the second or during the first sexual revolution uh i, I refer of course to the second one being tender but hey. the punchlines uh, yeah, they were they were pushing away from those um mores and social norms yeah. during that time but then when the 80s came along with hiv and aids then there was a resurgency in homophobia. So to hear that there was like a really gritty kind of well, I mean, it, it's, it's a movie that's then. like it's not. It's it's almost like you know, uh, well, the villain of the movie is a trans serial killer. Oh shit! And uh, and then gayness is what made her uh, <laughs> kill. 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 That'd be oh. great. And, and the experience of seeing two guys fucking is what made these kids crazy. Okay. When they were small. Oh, okay. And I see. Uh, and and so. Oh, like, wow. That would be a great. And it was story. like a giant success. It was like one of the biggest movies ever. Yeah. In the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's like, like, oh, so yes, scary. Yes, such, a scary yeah. such a scary realistic good, good concept. Idea. Nobody. Yeah. And there's like, uh, but that that'd be a great slogan for the movie is gayness made me kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. He's, uh, he's back. You kind of <laughs> look like a guy comp- from the movie. This is the, okay, so you gave me a like, great compliment earlier about how I make you feel like a brother or something, but you look like the guy from the beginning of the movie who's like the uh, camp uh, cook who's uh, – He's he's real pervy and he sees the children exiting the school bus and goes <laughs> fresh meat. Oh my god! Back home, you know what I call them? I call them baldies. This is this is precisely, <laughs> this is precisely the, why the hero of the anti-gay. Film. <laughs> the baldies, the baldies, literally just gave me chills because uh, I realized it was about their pubes. Uh, but this is exactly why I left Hollywood. Okay. Because I have no interest that was in playing you were, the oh. fat redneck neighbor <laughs> oh, or yeah, the fucking cook that likes <laughs> like rubbing his dick. Come here, let me show you something in the back let room. Me slop you up some sloppy joes here, yeah. kids. There, there are people that are proud of that. They're like, yeah, I have a look. I'm bookable. I look like I fuck kids. How do you get into that role? Don't worry about it. It's, not a year's of ch- it's like it's like. Uh, Steve Buscemi, one of the greatest actors, oh, also hired God. from time to time to be a ghoul. Yeah. <laughs> like, be a gross, ugly person. He he did have sex with a teenager in, in some movie. Really? Ghost World? Uh, Are you talking about that? No, it was... Uh, but that's nice to know that there was more than one. I mean, you know, it's a, there was a, a, like, a girl who's of age messing with an older man who's like an old nerd played by steve buscemi oh, in his early she's, 40s she's of age she's like 19 oh okay and, so it's uh, like um oh uh annie hall huh kind of like manhattan annie hall. more but or, uh no you're right manhattan thank you uh the uh yeah the daniel close comic book and the the movie by terry 
Tweegoff. Yeah, I'm remembering names. Okay, the Alzheimer's over. You called me on my uh, on my Woody Allen there uh-huh. pretty quick. That was <laughs> okay. I think it was called Beer Hall or something like that. Texas Beer Hall. Tex- this is the other movie with Steve Buscemi. Yeah, is, uh, just for the listeners, if you Trees want. Lounge? Was it Trees Lounge? Was it Trees Lounge? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was uh, a movie he directed. I love that movie. Yeah. And he, he sleeps with Chloe Sevigny in that movie. She, when she's playing a teenager. But I, I think she's like, yeah. Uh, she's not, actually. Yeah. yeah. I love Chloe Sevigny. Uh, I love her in American Psycho, too. I think mm. that was really Who's cool. she playing that? American Psycho? Yeah. yeah. She was I know uh, all the girls. Yeah, she's the, uh, she she's doesn't the get killed. That he doesn't brutal yeah. murder. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, dude. Uh, the bo- the book is turns out awesome. to be a really good and person. I had the yeah. book. I'm not read it. I, the, oh, dude. He but I constantly read... references Donald Trump. He's going yeah. around. He's always going like in the movie. There's that one scene where he's like, "Is that Ivanka Trump?" But in the book, he's always like, "Is that Trump's limo? Why isn't Trump at this party?" Because he was such mm-hmm. an icon for yuppies at the time. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was that was really interesting. There, and you know, the book's I, way more. I violent. tried to read it. I, I read about like ten pages of it, and yeah. I was like, I can't stand yes. the yeah. the voice of this person. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, I read and, uh, less than zero, and I really liked it. And I read Freddie uh, Snellis's book, uh, yeah. uh, White, and and a book of essays about uh, you know, um, not just uh, race, but like. Uh, culture and attitudes and Hollywood and his experiences in the movie business is a, like a successful writer from the age of 17. How do you like that? Well, that was, like the... it was good. I just, you know, his opinions are a little bit, uh, like polemical and kind of polarizing and I don't agree with all of them. He's got um, a certain air of cuntiness to him. Yeah. That, yeah. He's a cunty old fag. When now. you hear him, when you yeah. hear him speak, <laughs> but, he, uh, uh, he's got that kind of old queen mentality that really yeah, held the podcast. gay community back for a long time. You think it held him back? Uh-huh. Well, you you remember Harvey Milk back in mm-hmm. the day, great gay revolutionary from Southern yeah, sure. California. Yeah, or yeah. Northern yeah I know him. You know who he yes, is. Yes, I saw the Ghost Harvey Milk, well, I've never heard so of. Much, <laughs> he, had, he had a lot of opposition within the gay community from people who were like kind of, look, we finally ascended. Uh, we don't really care about like poor gay people, you know, like yeah. they can have it rough. The actual reality but, of the majority of, of Well Brett Easton Ellis is uh I I like his dissection of the movie Moonlight because mm. it's like uh it's supposedly this gay movie, but it's not at all like they, they have like one hand job on a beach when they're seventeen and and that defines his life, and he's, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's more about identity. Yeah, like, but they, they were afraid to do anything really gay in the movie, or, or to yeah, make the the gay people. Seventeen-year-old uh, isn't gonna go ahead and then start sucking the dick. No, but it's a know? cliche in all these gay movies from the eighties or you know nineties or something that are like, uh, like, like supposed to be uh, so shocking. There's the the desire that they doth not name, mm. thus. They act only in if, uh, like one like glance, conveys all the love that you know, like, like straight people can really fuck on film and have like you know passionate kisses and stuff. Right. But like, yeah. and gay people didn't really kiss until the nineties. I don't think there was like a gay kiss, uh, and and they on didn't television show until the one like in Ellen, Will Smith's movie, nineteen ninety eight. Will Smith did that movie, um, the Seven Degrees of Six Degrees of Separation. Six Degrees of Separation. Was he uh, gay in that movie? He plays uh, gay in the 
in that film, but when he has the kiss, they cut to the back of his head because uh, he wouldn't kiss on camera. Yeah. Which I think personally. Well, then don't why do the, the movie. director go. Yeah. Oh. Well, you're fired. Oh, <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? But they you, they could they did that. There was yeah, that level of repression okay. in okay. art back then. Here's what we're gonna do. You don't have to kiss on film, <laughs> but we are gonna do a close up shot of your ass. <laughs> right, up, right up there. We're trying Excuse to make we're trying to make uh, what concessions. Well, you make know. a make a compromise. I don't like compromise, especially in art. That's the worst place to compromise. Yeah, um, unless it's about compromise, and then you want compromise there because it could be like an ironic thing. If you're making art about compromise, a, your shit is so middle of the road. It's pretty trash. complex. No, complexity is not. Uh, yeah, in a way, most art is about not compromising, right? Like, and so it's about compromise. Yeah, the art that gets made is Let's the art that makes compromises because it, like, you know, works with the money, and you gotta you gotta work with power in order to present the you yeah know, you you have your face to the the masses. You have there's always and, it's, uh, it's like a wedge, right? It's like well. You know, yeah. Lean a little bit this way, and then you know that's how you start on the road to selling oh, yourself. Power. But you know, it'd be nice to sell my soul. I'd like to know. It'd be nice to sell your soul. Great oh, show with a lot of man that. kissing. Huh? Six feet under. HBO. <coughs> Remember that show? Yeah. I loved that show. Yep. My dad actually turned me on to it. He's like in his seventies now. Hmm. Um, he also turned me on to the Wu Tang Clan. He's very hip for an older guy, but he. Love. When you were 13, you turned out of the Wu Tang clan? Yeah, about 13, yeah. 13, 13. And, uh, but he, he, could, he loved Six Feet Under, but he couldn't stand to watch the men kissing. Yeah. He'd like shudder. This is a man, this is a man who gunned people down in Vietnam. Okay? Wow. This is like, he used to be a door gunner on a Huey gunship, and he's like, ooh, wincing at the, yeah. the yeah. men's passionate kisses. Well, that's, I think, some of my first, uh, the first men kissing on uh, TV that I remember, too. That's amongst the first uh, times that, like, male uh, sexuality, uh, male on male gay guys was uh, conveyed. Yeah, really. But I mean, like in depth with with characters that weren't just like you know only gay. They were doing other things. They were complicated. Like, yeah, yeah. They mm-hmm. had like you know full time lives outside of their uh, gay fucking and yeah. yeah. That's the that people miss that point a lot. Where like the the to actually respect a marginalized group of people in a movie, you have to not try to play to them. Like you have to not be like these people are gay like birdcage these people are gay look at how gay they are all the gay things they do it's like no you have to treat them like real people with real problems and complexity yeah like pink flamingos how it finally gave an accurate representation to what poor white trash are yeah yeah see that stuff is like you know um i remember reading that book uh by keith richards a life book saying that like you know that rolling stone song is like look at that stupid girl you know the yeah. song called "Stupid Girl," mm-hmm. and they, like it, it actually shows more respect for women to uh, play around with the yeah. Some girls are stupid. Yeah, you know, you're, you're yeah. You, you see stupid girls all the time, and like how do you but, celebrate but that's, a brilliant that's like, woman? It's more feminist. Recognizing that they can it's more be feminist dumb. to acknowledge that yeah, some people are fucking stupid. No, fucking stupid guys are stupid. Women are stupid. Babying you know, people like, is what really what really yeah. dehumanizes them. It's patronizing, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and murder. Yeah, yeah. Murder is the most patronizing thing you can do to someone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, kill me now. (laughs) Um, 
Do we want to talk about like our um, oh your house in LA? Yeah, oh, talk about that freak yeah, show. We didn't oh, talk okay. about it at all, really. Um, so I got Keith. Keith found it first. Yes, I did. How do you get oh, you guys are the founders of the house. No, the comic no, house. No, 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 no. It was oh, in okay. existence. No. It was in existence. Well, I would like Scotty, I would like Scotty moved there. What, like, uh, yo, uh, that would have been 2017. Yeah, mm. he was there from. Maybe yeah, he was moving at, spring till winter. Yeah, of 2017. I remember he was moving there around the same time I was trying to go to Chicago. I totally courted him into the house for sure. Yeah. I was like, come over and hang out for. Uh, some tea and sit or tea and a Sympathy? couple joints, oh, yeah. and then we smoked joints and had tea. And then he was like, "You want to go get some beer and some cigarettes?" And so we walked down to the liquor store. And then he was like, "Let's go to the grocery store." And we barbecued out. And then we went on a bender of about barbecuing almost every day for. Oh, <laughs> yeah. are you like also months. good at barbecuing? He, is that, I, is he, that where he found his uh, love and his passion and his joy for barbecuing? Was I, around then? I think there was oh. part of it was li- us living together and that, cooking out all the time together. Yeah, that's when he yeah. started to have the idea for the food truck. For sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, we would cut like I would if it were if it wasn't for him cooking, I would have not eaten some days. A lot of times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Me too. Uh, and we would like you know we'd pull our money and get and get shit, but. Um, he also had more money with bikes. He was the most ideal roommate for a place like that. Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he, he was, was yeah. he would clean up and take care of everybody. And he was yeah. like, "I'll live on your couch for three hundred bucks a month." Fucking yeah. a. Uh, yeah, you have to kind of. I mean, there's a certain kind of person that just it works out really well there. You can kind of like put your horse blinders on and just do what you have to do in your house and kind of have mm-hmm. peace there. And then you get to go out in, in L.A. and fucking do comedy and and try and. Yeah, you've got the whole city yeah, as your yeah. oyster because you actually have a little bit of spare income. Yeah. So let's do because let's, the rent's so cheap. To characterize the house a little bit, yeah, uh, yeah. there was uh, the landlord. Uh, should I say his name? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Brad, Brad the douche. Who, Brad the douche, uh, <laughs> and he was in. He he would do drug trials where he'd go and get injected with experimental medication mm-hmm. and stuff. And then that was he, his sole source of income other than our rent money. Well, yeah, and um, well, he was also a contractor. Um, it was he's gonna live till he's like you know a hundred something or die tomorrow. Yeah, one of those. But uh, he just anyway, uh, he's really hardy. But um, then he would can try and convince people in the house to go do drug trials and like get money, and then he would like have them pay him to drive them there. For the money, and he was always like hitting people up about you should try, <laughs> try yeah, this vaccine this test people. trial. Uh, it was a, yeah. What 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 type? Of, what are like, some things you've uh, been tested on? Uh, he's been schizophrenic medication, Alzheimer's. One of the, one of our roommates tried to kill himself by driving his car in front of a fucking train. What? He what? let the train hit on the wrong side of the car. Yeah, the train hit on the wrong side of the car. <laughs> Wait, so the train hit him uh, in the passenger, the passenger side? side. Right. You know, like yeah. clearly so he cry didn't, for he help. He didn't really want to die. He exactly, just wanted to yeah. exactly. destroy his car and traumatize whoever was in that train. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> ruin ruin uh-huh. a bunch of commuters' days. Yeah, yeah. He was he was a real quiet guy and you had to oh. kinda Well that that is a pretty serious attempt though, I'll give him that. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's, like, that's a that's a, it could go either way. He got really. hit by a train at full speed. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty it's, uh, yeah, it's fucked up man. I mean, you know, getting oh. ran a train on. He he had a lot of <laughs> he had yeah. a lot of uh, uh mental troubles stemming from uh, his cultural background as an Armenian person. Okay, uh, of course, every time, you know. 
Well, just his, kidding. His uh, mother. Uh, <laughs> his mother. I mean, coming to yeah. America as a uh, as great a, movie. Um, what, what's the call? What's the word? A uh, uh, refugee immigrant. Uh, well, no, it's it's word. It, I would think refugee yeah. kind of gives you more of a yeah, okay. a background to what, refugee what, family. They're, they're fleeing okay. from something. Yeah, and uh, his dad was a know, pedophile, and they didn't want to get found out. Yeah. There was a lot of. Uh, there was a, <laughs> it wasn't anything but the political. I don't know anything about that. I, uh, but, uh, I do know that they. You had, in order to get ahead in America, you know, there are a lot of ways to kind of scam and work the system. And when you're coming from uh, a communist country, you are already familiar with paperwork and standing in lines and doing the due diligence to get your benefits and that kind of thing. So it was a lot of. Uh, that kind of income, you know, uh, forging documents and making uh, extra e- extra checks. As many, let's get as many government checks coming to our house as we possibly can. And then on top of that, she kind of took advantage of him. So he had a lot of very serious trust problems and depression. I mean, to to be mistreated by your mother like that would leave anybody. Very uh, sad, you know. That's another fun pastime at the house is psychoanalyzing people, yeah. learning their histories. And <laughs> uh, but there were fifteen people. Yeah, there. yeah. Well, okay. So in the front house, there was a big room, like the living room, and it was segmented into different areas for people to live. Cubbies. Four people. Yeah. Which I I never lived in a cubby. I actually had a pretty sweet the last six months I lived there because no one lived. I lived in the back house. Nobody nobody lived there. So I just had this whole back house for like three hundred dollars, and I could kind of do whatever. Because technically, only the one area was yours, but no one was there. Yeah. So I, I had the whole know, garage to myself mm, uh, for it was, a few years. What's the LA comedy scene like? Uh, oh, it's great. Seg- segmented. There's not it. What the what struck me when I first got there was if you do comedy in Houston, for the most part, you drive all around Houston. Uh-huh. If you want to, especially remember when we were first starting, it was hard to go up multiple times in a night or like, uh-huh. you know, you're trying to get as much as possible. Uh, in, a, in LA, people kind of can stay in one area. So that that's different. And that leads to the scene being more, you know, it's more like a... a you know everybody? Scenes there. Do I know everybody? Yeah. I would think like... like I know a lot of people. But uh, when you said it's segmented, are there like tiers and hierarchies? Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. You'll, Absolutely. You'll, so it's segmented, but there are places where a lot of people kind of commingle like the improv yeah. or... Uh, Did you ever know M.K. Or, Paulson? Huh? You know M.K. Paulson? I, met him I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's very You're funny. funny. Uh, and then there's the... the, the 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 people that the, the secret group are in with are like Dave Ross and like Dave Ross is a great guy. Yeah. Uh, I opened for him at a show called AIDS Eleven. Oh yeah, it's like a combination of like what if nine eleven gave us all AIDS or something. I don't know. <laughs> AIDS Eleven, the offensive yeah. show. And, yeah, uh, one of the best compliments I ever got was I'm up on stage doing like my filthiest fucking jokes, and I they put me up right after the host. Uh-huh. They put me up first, and Dave and a couple of other comics. Like, were running outside to change their set lists. Oh, <laughs> to, to to follow me, and it yeah. made me feel fucking so good. Uh, but I, the best description I ever heard of the L.A. comedy scene was from uh, my good friend Brett Erickson. He said, uh, "If you're moving to L.A. to do comedy, not to worry. Ninety-eight percent of the comedians in Los Angeles are dog shit, but the other ten thousand 
<laughs> are really fucking funny. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it does. It does feel that way. But um, we had a to live out there is kind of difficult because you make more, but everything costs more. It's like rent, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, we worked in a telemarketing uh, place for a little bit. Now that together, was, that was a fun job to have with a friend. Ooh. That was something I kind of. You got both worked into. in a telemarketing place together. Oh yeah. yeah I can fun. see you as a telemarketer. No, I can see you as being dude. the he best. Like, he was a I, superstar. He was fucking. You awesome. know, <laughs> it, it served me well to learn that skill too, because now when it comes to like booking and things like that. You say you get a kind of trepidatious yeah. uh, venue owner that's not wanting to give you a guarantee because I like to get a guarantee, and then if the tickets are well, we'll give. I'll take the ticket money instead, you know. But I need to at least cover expenses. So say they're being trepidatious with me on uh, on our money deal for a venue. Uh, I learned in telemarketing that you never hang up. Yeah. You stay on the phone with them until they give you the answer that you fucking want. And because of that, I've been able to book myself at a lot of places where nobody turned up and I still got fucking paid. So, you know? Yeah, that's a little bit of the same thing I've been learning with this podcast is you never give up on a conversation. You never... Because sometimes I, I get five minutes into this and I don't want to talk anymore. I don't like this fucking... I'm not good at this. It's, nobody's gonna care. This isn't yeah. funny. This isn't good. But like, kind of keeping like, a bit going. Kind of feels like the... push yourself into the void a little bit. And yeah. Find things in there. Uncomfortable's did, the best place to be in comedy. It did uh, open I the think. show on Tuesday, co-hosting with Jamal, and you were there, and you yes, were on the show, and uh, and we deliberately went up with no plan. And I kind of cheated. I did one joke, but uh, you guys the, bounced off of each other so seamlessly. You're telling me that was not planned at all. You guys didn't. We tried to just go up with no plan, and, and if it. we had to do a joke, do one joke. But we we each did one joke, but just talked to the audience and tried to just talk about ourselves and dude, you say stuff we had never said before. You made the intimacy factor for that show like at peak level. I mean, you got everybody that was in that room. Not only to like you, but to be excited for the performers. Uh, and also, it it was like, you know, going up first, you call it biting the bullet, right? Every, yeah. Uh, and comics, we all have a special place in our hearts for the guys who go up and bite these bullets for us to get us on stage. But when you're sharing that, it was like maybe 30 seconds of biting the bullet. And then you guys were just, now the show is going. You yeah. Know? It was like uh, it diffuses that uh, th- that time between our normal day and showtime so much faster when you have somebody to bounce off of. Yeah. I thought it was. Great. I thought, yeah, I thought we did a good job hosting. That was one of the fun ones. Uh, co-hosting gets it's a it's a whole different thing than just hosting. Like like yeah. sharing the stage with uh, another person and and doing ten minutes with somebody else is a is a challenge that I've. I've been trying to get better at. I don't know if you've ever you. The first time I remember seeing you and uh, Stephanie Fisher doing a duo act at Fitzgerald's in 2012. Did we do that? I don't remember. Yeah, that. you went up and did jokes together. You went up. God, that was so long ago. Uh, I did. I I did a duo thing with Britt. I remember that. Oh, the breakup show. The breakup show, and then did, I would do. Were uh, you guys planning to really break up, or had you already broken up before oh, we had you did? Up. We didn't like each other very much. Britt, you already Britt broke Vasicek? up. Yeah. Before uh, you did the show, you were technically broken up when you did the show, or did the show help lead to the inevitable breakup? Uh, 
No, we broke up and we were like, let's just make a show out of oh, it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I love that. Uh, yeah, it was good. It, you know, something good from uh, that. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Uh, oh, and then I did the that um, interview type show thing. Uh, that was that was fun and um, I think actually a good format um, that isn't used enough. Where like the Tom with, Snyder kind of thing, where it's a one-on-one interview. No, it's it's like uh, you have somebody do their set, and then you give them you give them a certain amount of time to get into their set, and then once they're there, I think they're in the mode where they want to keep talking and they're comfortable, like they're in their voice, you know, their their character. What's mm-hmm. uh, um, so what's this like format that, again? You uh, did, uh, interruption uh, kind of style. Not yeah. not interruption necessarily. You did it over at um, uh, Last Concert Cafe. A long time ago yeah where you do a set and then i'll like ask you questions about it and uh-huh. um for i i think for comedians that helps them find oh yeah i remember you yeah yeah and so it's like uh do your set and then somebody say like oh you had a joke about like your dad and like you ask them about that and usually they have funny things about that they haven't found a way to fit into a, a joke formally um or like you know just say uh fit, it's a little bit like you know. uh Kui genti and andrew youngblood had a show unbelievable stories and they would uh Koo would Koo and andrew would listen to people tell uh their set and then uh and then you're supposed to ask whether you like they were going to be like which parts of that story are true and which parts yeah. are false and then what did you amplify to be funny and uh, isn't it is it a, like they kind of what is based on fact telling and what is, a great story as part what? of the show they kind of let the air out of telling a great story as part uh, of the show that's interesting yeah well you're supposed to tell like three stories and have uh one be true and uh, two be false. Oh, okay. And then, huh. it, like, uh, well, that's awesome. Cause and they got to figure out which one's which. Yeah, and you're just oh, okay. so you're talking about the set, but it's also like a little bit of a you know, yeah, which story is true and which. But show formats that that interact with the material or the story itself somehow, those are really I, I like I like those um, interruption type stuff too. And e. The only way that the stories I tell on stage are false is if I'm adding additional truth to them from other stories. So, like, sometimes I'll tell a story and, like, the real meat and potatoes of the story is a a girlfriend. But Mm -hmm. I had another girlfriend right around the same time who did this atrocious thing that goes together with the problem in this other story... And so, like, like as a little spice, a little spice du jour, you know, you kind of combine a little bit. You, you know? ever extract elements from other people's stories and then make them your own just to be like, oh, no, all me, all, yeah. all me I do that. for sure. Yeah. But like, that, but, that you but, have all time. but maybe, <laughs> but maybe in like my most of my stories are about ex lovers and girlfriends. So it's like, really, do they all need individual attention? I think not. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good point. It's a you're condensing something, and it's what all art is. You know, it's not on its face true, but it's more true than the truth. You know, how are you going to tell somebody your life story in like five minutes? Yeah, that, right. But if you make a really good dick joke, you know, uh, you can the uh, that show with how to with John Wilson was talking about um, memory in one episode, and uh, he starts interviewing people who uh, are convinced that the Mandela effect of uh, you know how you remember well, Berenstein Bears versus Berenstein Bears? Which one is it? Mm-hmm. You, you yeah. clearly right. think it's Berenstein Bears. Fruit right. Loops with two O's. Yeah, one. yeah. Mandela, Mandala. Yeah, my and dad being uh, it was, there. Yeah, uh, but the uh, it's the people who think like, okay, so, my dad so being these. There. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So good. I didn't catch that either. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was slick. <laughs> but the uh, the Mandela effect uh, being a real thing of everybody thinking that the uh, sunglasses were on the two scoops of uh, raisin bran sun, you know, like the sun scooping the raisins into the cereal had sunglasses. Right. Uh, uh, but it didn't have sunglasses. Everybody remembers that for some reason. That's because in another universe. No, it's, they did have the sunglasses. That's not why. It's There's because they're many different realities. The, uh, and those are some, all the raisins. They're the right. California raisins. They're combining the California raisins with the sun in their mind because it was yeah. around the same time. There's Stouffer right. stovetop stuffing. Everybody thinks it's Stouffer stovetop stuffing. It's cracked stovetop. Fucking a stuffing. It hmm. Which, by the way, it if just you sounds just better. add a little fresh yeah. onion, a little fresh uh, <laughs> fucking. In and another celery, in another world really... in a, in a, in another dream, it really is Stouffer stovetop stuff. Here's one thing I will I like get... a parallel universe kind of thing. No, not not that people just make mistakes and they it's, remember things yeah, wrong. Exactly. Yeah. We have <laughs> there are different worlds. worlds where <laughs> like, yeah. I get that a lot with music, uh, yeah. where I'll think something was sung by somebody else, and it kind of makes me sad because usually what I thought happened is like way better than like I thought. <laughs> There was that, well, uh, it's not very funny, but there was that no, song from Depeche Mode um, called I, I'll, what, I'll, I'll Love You. Or, um, I Will Always Love You. I Will Always yeah, Love You. Yeah. I thought that was sung by It was Freddie. actually a Dolly Parton song. I heard mm-hmm. that as Freddie Mercury in my head. I thought he sang that song. but I didn't know Depeche Mode ever did a version No, of it. Whitney Houston sang that song. That's the uh, best version. Uh, but, no, Depeche no, no, Mode not, did not do a version. No, it's not I Will Always Love You. No, no, it's not <laughs> that no, it was something like uh, it's like. Da, 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 da. Oh no, I'm not gonna do the fucking. Wait, um, uh, Depeche Mode is like. Um, I just can't get enough. No, I just can't get something enough. love whatever. But I thought it was saying yeah. by Freddie Mercury, and that was like that would have. I listened to the song, I was like, wow, this sounds much worse than I remember it. I and want to I break free. And I used to, yeah, I I misremembered some songs from Iron Maiden. I thought Dio sang. Okay. I always thought Dio would have been a better lead for Iron Maiden than Bruce Dickinson was. Yeah. My brother used to think the uh, he would be on his uh, little uh, cassette headphones, you know, his cassette deck in the yeah. back of the car, singing along with the headphones on, going little like Walkman. Yeah, he, his little Walkman, he'd be like, "Take me down to the very nice city where the grass is green and the girls oh are pretty." The I wanna n- go. The I wanna nice know. City. <laughs> Jake! <laughs> oh my dude, that's the most fun thing to do. Like, whoever... go ahead and home. Yeah. We got in a fist fight because he believed that Brown Eyed Girl song was by the Rolling Stones, and I was like, No, it's not. <laughs> and uh, I, w- it was I before would over cell too, phones, like, before you well, can look because, it up immediately. We should like that. Uh, it's not like that they're wrong. It's more like you're being an asshole. You're wrong. Yeah. Like you're being a huge asshole. Yeah, my my uh, my, my stepdad was like. Oh, Cats in the Cradle, that's a great song. I love Cat Stevens wrote that song. I was like, no, Cat Stevens didn't remember. He was like, the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue in the main. And then I was like, the Ugly Kid Joe version was popular at the time. I was like, he's like, this is actually an old Cat Stevens song. And I was like, no, it's not. I couldn't remember who it really was. And then Is it Gordon but like we, it was a, it, No, it's Harry Chapin. Harry Chapin. But uh, yeah, he had, I don't know, not many other songs. Yeah. But yeah, the. The thing devolved into such a bitter feud 
between like a 13 year old like it was like the first time i was like you're wrong about something and i know it Ooh. and you're so confident that you're right but you won't you refuse yeah. to be wrong it's so fucking frustrating oh. <laughs> yeah. uh. all, right, all right this is a reading from a, a collection of prose by w.s merwin small piece Entitled, He Who Made the Houses. 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 He was a man whose age nobody knew. And nobody could remember what he did before. All that time, he had lived alone. He had lived simply he looked like wax, but somewhere he was burning. He was always bent at his labor, even when he seemed to be looking at you. His eyes were always on his love, which was the work of his life. He made all kinds of houses, complete with the tools, habits, passages, hiding places. Traps, cupboards, pictures, furry corridors, ice chimneys, rotted stairs, laid tables, smells, and bone-filled dens of lives. Out of everything he could find, beg, borrow, or take away until he could try it first, he made these houses of all sizes, opening onto every prospect, or dug into the ground, everywhere that he could persuade someone to let him use the space and let him alone there for a while, he made those houses. He made them on some of the oldest and on some of the poorest places and on many others. At least once a year, he would explain when you could get him to answer you, all the words fly up from the places where they have been discontented. For a moment so small that you do not notice it, they leave their comfortless and insecure lodgings altogether and fly through the air like a swarm of bees. Some people can hear them. He, for instance, could hear them. During those moments, which even to him seemed indescribably short, the words managed to travel great distances. Each time it happens that some of them never get back or end up in other places and nobody knows it. And after that, more people do not understand something, many things, each other, themselves, or all of these. And they believe that they and what they do not understand are being represented by the same words when they are not even using words that live in the same places anymore. But if each of the words had the house that was right for it, it would go on living there, and if it did go away for a while, it would want to come back to the same place. He had always suspected this, and had discovered that it was in fact so, because he had many... Hmm, he had made a study of words. And ever since then, he had been making houses for each one of them. Because he knew... Their ways, he could describe how they would come on a certain day, like bees indeed, like bees closer and closer, having caught a glimpse of their true homes. Are they all like insects, then, you might ask? 
You know they are not, he would answer. Some are like shrews. Some are like birds. Some are like water or friends of various kinds. Some are like old ants. Some are like lights. Some are like feet walking without bodies in a hall lined with everything any of us remembers, and so forth. They are like us. Each of them has to have been offered its rightful abode if we are to be able to speak from one day to the next and know what we mean. He was far advanced in his task when the barbarians arrived with their axes. That, but, uh, do y'all have, like, song parodies you sing to yourselves? Oh, all the time. All the time. Yeah? That song, uh, Mariah Carey, uh, All I Want for Christmas is You. Mm-hmm. I always sing it, All I Want for Christmas is Jews. And I, <laughs> I pretend yeah. I'm Hitler making right. demands yeah. uh, of his henchmen and stuff, you know? Yeah. I used to say 99 problems and my dick can't come. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, yeah. I remember yeah. that one. Why, why would you, uh, Je- Jesse's girl? I mean, that's like 100 You problems. did that on At stage that point, a couple yeah. times, didn't you? I did that. I remember I that one. <laughs> Fucking A. I had a Jesse's girl, and uh, and it's like, and she's pegging him with her big fat dick. Donna Dino's bar and grill. What is that like? Huh? Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, I, I know what song you're talking about. Boys are back in town. The boys are back. Boys yeah. Are back in town. Bam, bam. Yeah. I'm a music guy. <laughs> I'm a music guy. <laughs> uh, um. Well, Coleman, tell Bob a little bit. I found the place mm-hmm. that we lived, the nightmare yeah. house. Tell him a little bit about, like, when you moved in, right, it was after our first tour. Like, that was my first real tour across yeah. the country. That was, you... a, that was a great, I lucked into um, uh, that house. So I, I had moved in with my friend Joey, who was his bodybuilder. Um, nice guy. But yeah, when I first moved to LA, he was just this big bodybuilder guy. Kind of broy. And he uh, would do steroids, and he had to take Chinese Viagra super <laughs> hard um, oh. to fuck his wife, not me. But uh-huh. he would have like big muscles, and he he uh, couldn't reach one day or something. In this area he was trying to inject. He's like, "Hey, can you inject me with this?" Like, He's <laughs> injecting himself with Viagra. No, with steroids. Oh, okay, that'd be funny though. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it just doesn't work. Uh, but uh, you almost die. Uh, <laughs> like no, you, but like as the needle goes in, your dick gets hard. Or like, anything for your dick, dude. Oh. Right. Well, that's more of a pain thing. Let's just say that. Uh, but uh, the, the I, you know, he had his girl move in with him. I was like, well, I'm gonna be homeless, and so I just called everybody and Keith had a couch. And, uh, oh, so. I, but um, I had this job selling mattresses. It was the first job I had when I moved to L.A. Did you move with any money at all? I had $1,500. Oh, my God. Fucking A. Like oh a Is that a t- too much? It's terrifying. I had, I had, I had 2100 in a car that stopped working a month after I moved there. <laughs> oh. um, well, so, and then I, I found that, well, I, I was working this mattress job, and I was a really shitty salesman. Um, of course. Because I thought I could, yeah. I thought I could, because I knew how much they it cost them to make the mattress, they had the that, the price points in the system, so I thought I could just lower the price. Oh, that's what you did. I thought that's how you haggled was like oh, lower the. Price. That's how you made sales, just by lowering the price. I didn't make any. <laughs> yeah. I worked there for like four weeks. I didn't make any sales. 
Oh. Um, the first, the week I was training, it was a. Did you big... get that job from Chet Ranger? No. Because uh, he was a master mattress salesman. Huh. For, but no, this was this is a. He used like, to talk about it as like as like the best opportunity in the world, mattress sales. People got so sleep. good at it. He's so good at it. He's <laughs> oh like, my god! I mean, he's the kind of person who would talk about being good at something and yeah, then not be good at something I in know, real life. And, uh, like, oh. Very very confident. And, um, very co confident. <laughs> That's um, how sales works. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to lie all the time. That's why it's the worst job ever for good people like us. <laughs> it was just looking back. It was really sketchy to be like, how much is because I sold high end mattresses. People were like, how much is this mattress? I'm like four thousand. Really? That's too much. Okay, two thousand. Like, huh? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> it's like way sketchy. But uh, so the the day uh, training to sell there, there's this uh, old Armenian guy who's very confident about how good of a salesman he was, good of a mattress salesman he was, and he's like, uh, just he, we're waiting for people to come in. He's like, just watch me and how I sell, and I shouldn't do his voice, uh, but. Two people came it wasn't in. too offensive. It's fine. It was. It was just don't watch me. It was not racial. It just sounded like you're both fine. So, um, <laughs> so mean, we're, so waiting. Right. Okay. we're waiting. We're waiting, and, and uh, then the skinny guy comes in with his with his big old wife. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Them little why, skinny fellers right, love a big old why, bitch, don't they? Know. You know. I don't know why, but it, it's always the skinny guy. I could guy just like cut that as a clip to advertise this podcast, and then be like, "This is the Healing Globe." Skinny guys really do love a big old fat bitch, right? <laughs> I'm the healing club. Yeah, this that, week, that, what did you say? Them little skinny was, girls. <laughs> that impression was racial, though. What? Okay. <laughs> Just now, that was problematic. Mine was? Yeah. Yes, your it was, of me was Rachel. <laughs> was Rachel? It was Rachel. I've always been more of a Monica guy. Right, so the skinny People guy say I look like Matthew girl. Perry. Uh, I like I like uh, more handsome. Good. I like Courtney Cox's character because yeah. yeah, your last name. Yeah, great Cox. rack. Yeah. yeah, she's the one relative I would fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good right. one. Um, so, uh, yeah, big big fat girl, skinny guy come in. My my boss is like, uh, watch me how I sell the mattress to them. Watch how I do, and he's talking about how good it is, and he's kind of okay. And but then he's like. And uh, I think you want a bigger mattress. <laughs> because of your massive wife. Just because of your wife's yeah. like, stature or whatever. Stature? Yeah, <laughs> you're so going to need a bigger boat for that one. He didn't say she was fat, but yeah. he was like... Yeah, he didn't say oh. she was fat, but he was like, she's not, she's not sleeping like a normal woman. <laughs> he said she's not sleeping like a normal woman? No, but oh, he, he was like, implying that with yeah. what he said. And then he, they were like, okay, and they were nice about it, and they left. And he's like, well, you know, sometimes you just <laughs> sometimes she goes, and sometimes she doesn't yeah. go. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Watch what I do. Sometimes, watch me now. I'm gonna okay. I'm, watch and learn. And then he insults somebody, and then they leave. <laughs> what's, what's up, you fucking bitch? <laughs> you ugly ass bitch. Hey, sometimes you roll a bitch, sometimes a bitch rolls you. you know? but, Either so, way, she's rolling. So, uh, but they come back after they leave. The the guy comes back and he's like, "Hey, I just want to tell you, what you said to my wife was really rude and offensive, and we will not be coming to the store ever again." <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Okay, so nobody knows how to do their job. That's fine. No, that's the thing, though. Armenian people 
I'm not going to say anything broad brushstroke here. I'm not going to be like lumping all arm. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that they have any kind of different socialization than we do, but there is something to like how sensitivity kind of gets brushed by the wayside mm-hmm. when you're used to trying to survive genocide. You know what I mean? Like, well, that was genocide was a hundred years ago. Or more. Oh, so it doesn't oh, matter. So it doesn't know. have so it doesn't lasting have, ramifications right. on the psyche of a people. Jesus. Good. I'm tired of you and your Rachel yeah, stereotypes. You know. <laughs> Rachel asked. I'm, tr- I'm trying to have I'm trying to have a little healing moment okay. for this poor gentleman who yeah, I remember uh, just wanted look, the bitch was too big for a twin. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, you ain't putting her in a regular bed. You gotta go queen size, king size. Yeah. There's no that's, that's the a, best salesman I ever seen. The best salesman I ever seen. <laughs> I don't know. When I worked at LBL and I was the uh, waiter there, there was the uh, kitchen manager used to be a waiter. And every month there would be a contest to sell the most margaritas or the special, you know, margarita special. You yeah. sell, the, sell the special the most times. Then you win the contest and you get like a prize of $150 at the end of the month. So it was kind of cool that I, I kept winning it until this one guy, um, Doug, was hired. And he was just better than me at doing this. But but you know who was the ultimate master before he became the kitchen manager was the guy who nobody could understand anything he said. It was like he'd come to a table and be like, I'm trying to monitor they're like, huh? oh, he's like, like, oh, this just two dollars more. You get it, but I guess about to Christmas. Like, uh, like uh, okay, snatch. He's so, like, all right. So every table would not know what they were ordering. <laughs> he, just, he just brings them two orders of fajitas and the fucking margarita special. Here you go. But I'm so good. They it made him happy. They made him. And, they, and he was able to just wedge it, wedge it. Oh, that's so good. Oh, they bought this too. That's fucking that's smart. Um, so I lost the mattress job. Um, uh, they fired me, and then they gave me my paycheck the same day because we have to in California. And uh, then uh, their friend, who was going to drive them on their tour, got booked on MTV. Um, got booked on uh, the uh, Just for Laughs comedy festival in Montreal. Oh. Yeah. Who's uh, that? Uh, Olivia Grace. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was on uh, Roast Battle on Comedy Central. Hmm. No, that's what she got booked. I thought. I thought she got booked on Roast Battle. She had to film Roast Battle all of a sudden, and she had to like drop out. Oh, I, I thought that was. I don't know. People usually get JFL first. One, one, know. one or the other. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, she went on to great success, and then we went on our shitty tour, and uh, the rest is history. Well, the shitty mm-hmm. tour was one of the greatest summers awesome. of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, so uh, yeah, I got my paycheck and I just immediately went on this. I was like, "I'll drive for you guys." Okay, let's let's do it. Yeah, twelve hundred dollars and twelve hundred dollars and rent paid for when you came back. And rent paid, yeah. So okay. it's yeah, like an easy place to live uh, and nothing really to worry about. Mm. And so, um, what was the first stop? We we stopped to nap somewhere in northern New Mexico. Uh, and I rolled your toe up in the windshield. Oh, yeah. Your, the, your foot was sticking out. Oh, my foot was sticking out the back Rush window, him. and he's, like, rolling it up. I'm like, ah, stop it. Uh, oh, and we, and we went with Tom Goss, too. That yes. was a really good. Uh, he was, he, thank God. I was, uh, I was the, ho- I did the hosting. He did the headlining. Tom Goss did the featuring. Which Tom Goss could headline. And like, we, actually, yeah, no, we, we did, did a little rotating around different places, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, for sure to try and even out the stage time a little bit, you know, because we were all like, that's the thing about going on the road. 
uh, and everybody's like a contemporary, you know, they're, uh, nobody's really ahead of anybody else in the comedy game. We just, I was, me and Tom were going to open for Liv, and then when she got her opportunity, uh, it bumped us up, and we were like, well, we need somebody to start the show. We, we you, you, you know, you got to have at least three people on a comedy show. Mm-hmm. We didn't know a lot of these venues had people wanting to tag on and stuff. And then, of course, when we got to back to Indiana uh, for a portion of the tour, uh, I had all these friends who would be hanging out with us and stuff. So we added a couple of them on here and there just to kind of, I just kind of wanted to show off my friends and how funny they were to Tom and Coleman. Did you make enough money to sustain yourself going place to place? We made it back to uh, oh, Baytown fuck. on E. Yeah. So we no, made no, it no. back to... We, we did. We did. Um, yes. we, made, we, we made enough to like get from place to place, but then by the end of it, um, there was something up where we had to... We, we last minute booked something that was like a little bit further out, and we decided to stay there to make meet new people and do another show uh-huh. um, and that's kind of that ate into the money a little bit and then we had to get and then of course oh, i gambled away the, the last yeah. of my money at a casino in louisiana uh-huh. so we made it back to <laughs> safe but uh we were putting change in the we fucking gas tank and you know how it tells you how many miles you have it would just go down and down and down until we're like kind of near my town and then it just <laughs> I don't. I have uh, no idea. You know, it just like went blank. Just trying not to run out of gas more than an hour away from his mother's house. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't no. think I could do that again. I don't, I don't think I could do. I don't, like whatever well, I used to do when I was twenty. Like I'm just gonna move there with a hundred dollars. Fucking nightmare. I'm not fucking doing shit like yeah, that anymore. I, think, I, think that's something that I was like, how, how? How did I do that? How was I paying my? How did I have a car? How did these things? <laughs> yeah. Well, after I left the place that we lived together in uh, California with the fifteen people and whatnot, I went on the road and I spent some time here in Texas, and then I moved back to Los Angeles. Uh, this time with only six hundred dollars. And I wound up there all the way until That's how those people wind up homeless. I used to listen to that Kill Tony podcast, and it was like, everybody that would be, like, in the interview portion, they'd, like, do terrible comedy, and they'd be like, so what's your fucking deal? And then they're like, oh, I'm homeless, I'm living in a car. Well, (laughs) keep sticking it out. And then, like, like, so many people just, like, doing comedy, living in a car, homeless, so fucking poor, having this dream that's not going to work out, obviously. Getting called a retard (laughs) by some fucking midget. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm. It's a good way to end. I think we're about time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You guys can catch me. I'm going to be in Austin on Monday. Signed up for the Kill Tony show. I didn't. These gentlemen have other plans, clearly, but uh, that's what I'm doing with my Monday night. (laughs) Literally this Monday. So fingers crossed. I get pulled. My dreams come true. Yeah, I'm doing a show in Austin on the 14th, and doing a show with Rogers on the 13th. I don't know if I'll put this out before then or whatever. 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 Yeah, yeah. I'm nothing. Sure. I got nothing. What am I plugging this for? For those five oh, people who are going to Oh, please, please, we'll watch Brozan on YouTube. Brozan? It's, it's a pilot I uh, uh, wrote and directed that and starred in uh, during the pandemic. Oh, uh, cool. All yeah, right, man. so you got something to, to pitch. Yeah, all Look. original music. Brozan. It's got uh, Jeff Tate, uh, brilliant comedian Jeff yeah, Tate, yeah. and Phil Pointer. And uh, the chairman of the Democratic Party of Henry County, Mr. K.J. Sorrell, plays the pig farmer. Uh, it's a really, it's a fun show. It's got sounds enticing. Yeah, That's a really please check it out. Just, <laughs> just search Brozan on YouTube and you'll see it. Uh, who are you 
Anyway, I was gonna say something positive about that. But mm. Oh yeah, a lot of the music in the show is available on iTunes too. Oxycontin that, pickers. Yes, sir. Oxycontin pickers. Yeah. And on YouTube. That's pretty good. That's a good. That's a good portmanteau. Yeah. That's a good, Coleman that's was a, a part. Was a very crucial part of that project of mine. Uh, and he and he no. also. Uh, yes, you were. You played backup rhythm guitar and backup vocals on a, on the song that makes it in Roseanne. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, the White Man Blew Up My Island. Okay. <laughs> oh, man, that was a good song. Uh, island song. Island song. <laughs> it's, a, it's about Hiroshima. You know? Oh, okay. All right. uh, yeah. Or maybe just one of the many <laughs> islands the white man's blown up. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I was in the band Chucky Moda for an iTunes. Chucky Moda. Great with, music. Yeah. Um, I'm also, uh, I was in memory syndrome, but all of her stuff is on, uh, 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 Instagram memory syndrome as a band. Yeah. Okay. Um, which I'm still doing now. It's a, um, personal project, but, uh, everything I have, all my comedy and everything's on Instagram. If you like me, follow me at Colmentology. Um, I do a lot of, uh, vaporwave, uh, music and comedy. And, uh, sometimes I, uh, Kill people uh, and stalk, you do not. You're not a murderer. Stalk and kill. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, you just, I'm at Queen yeah. Ray. All the evidence is there if you want to piece you know, it together. You know, I, I, uh, I heard this great uh, joke that was like an old Norm Macdonald joke. Of uh, Norm Macdonald used to say, you know, make a, you know, what makes an excellent stocking stuffer. Yes, it's, a, it's a human foot. <laughs> yeah, that was the <laughs> Was well, it the yes. No, uh, okay, Hedberg. maybe I'll tell you. I, no, you I was, have Alzheimer's. I went. Okay. Uh, <laughs> damn it. Damn it. Okay. I quote Coleman's joke. I'm not going to tell it if you don't want me to, but I quote your joke about the devil more than any other joke. Okay. Let's end on that joke. What's that joke? When it, com- when it comes to the, uh, whenever you're talking about the devil, uh, nobody ever says, or she. <laughs> hmm? I forget. I have no idea what that means. Because when you're talking about God, and you're like, oh, right. lots yeah, of people yeah, yeah. go, or she. You have to put oh. that in front of it. It's like, when, yeah, when you're talking about God, everybody's like, or she. When you're talking about oh, God, but somebody's like, like, you know, yeah, whoever yeah. he is, or yeah, whoever yeah. she is. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's like, like, or whoever the she, devil. Yeah, she yeah. is. <laughs> and then I had some good tags for it. I forgot. Somebody stole that joke. Yeah, the devil's time. always assumed to be a man. Somebody stole that joke, which is surprising because it's a shitty joke, but somebody stole uh, it, and then I just stopped. I forgot. Was it Fresh Prince of Bel Air joke? You sold your Fresh Prince of Bel Air joke. Tell me your Fresh Prince of Bel Air joke. My first You're prince of deaf, deaf prince of Bel Air. I Bel-Air. completely fucking forgot. Do you remember the deaf prince of Bel Air? I, I think that was probably just the joke. It was. Uh, but you would Bel-Air. do the the like uh, the song. No. Deaf voice. No. <laughs> <laughs> why would I do that, dude? Some of my choices when I started out, it's like, why the fuck? My first joke I ever wrote was about a guy with a cleft palate, and I would do the. I would do the cleft palate voice, and it, it was all about how there is no God because of cleft palates. Because God would never—that's like it's too—it's a physical deformity and a, a, a speech impediment. It's like what kind of God starts you off at two strikes? Like that's pretty rough. It's so un-American. Yeah, you know? Victor trying to cleft palate he had, he had a good yeah. how, how had come a less lip sounds like more yeah. tongue you know what I mean no. <laughs> <laughs> what was your Kim Jong-il joke oh can I do it can I do it oh. I love this joke oh uh, what Chinese no Japanese you, you, oh no no you're doing him like you're not putting any context to him you're just saying the racist parts <laughs> <laughs> the racist and sexist 
It was, uh, I'll try and, um, it was, uh, oh, they, North Korea gets a bad rap. They need a travel slogan. You know, something like, uh, I see London, I see France, burning into cinders. North Korea stands tall and proud above its oppressors. <laughs> and, uh, or, uh, Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees, uh, all will kneel before the mighty power of North Korea. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that. That never really, I, the rhythm of that doesn't work as a joke for a crowd, I don't think. Uh-huh. All will bend to the and, will uh, of the great leader, oh is what I remembered it. Yeah. So fucking pretentious. Yeah, it's funny, though. It's hard to, yeah. it's, I, I love your comedy, but it's hard to pick out a single joke because you're more, I don't know, you're more conversational than somebody else Well. Think stuff off the top of your head. I'll well. <laughs> Let's yeah. end this fucking I remember thing. the one where you said that yeah, the shit felt good going into your ass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the shit? Going out of your ass. It yeah. felt like a dick coming out of your yeah. ass. Yeah. It took stool hardeners. <laughs> stool softeners. Oh, my God. That's the best. All right. All right. All right. All right. Well, you've been guests in uh, Healing Club. <laughs> Coleman Cox. You can find you on your Coleman Cox. At Coleman Tolly. Mind crime. Mind memory crime. trouble. <laughs> memory syndrome. Mind <laughs> crime. And uh, Keith Ray. At Queef Ray on uh, Instagram. And and the uh, the movie? Uh, the Brozan. Brozan. On YouTube. Okay. Brozan on YouTube. All right. Thanks for doing the podcast, guys. Yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, let's, let's, do you want to go eat? Yeah, sure. <laughs>